Warning, this podcast contains what Arlo White would refer to as occasional fruity language at the kind of levels as a Manchester City tunnel. This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's Thank you. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, oh, from the crap part of the crap Chelsea, <laughs> it's the Men in Blazers' third annual night of the Golden Blazer! <laughs> oh, presented by Minnie! <laughs> it's one of my favourite nights of the year. <laughs> The Golden Blazer. It's the most prestigious blazer ceremony in sport that is not given out in a butler golf cabin. Yep. Who will it be? We have just one hour before we find out. The bookies have just made their statements. They have a second favorite, Jason Day. Firm favorite, Hattrick Rick. Have you got the tingling, David? How excited are you? Well, as you know, I've got a terrible memory, Rog. I can't actually remember who's winning the Golden Blazer. <laughs> so I'm very excited. I'm just excited to be here. I'm excited to find out, Rog. Oh, I don't like to be hyperbolic about Men in Blazers crap. But we've done this. This is a night about a blazer given to someone who's growing the sport we love yep. in the country we love. Yep. Oh, we've done it twice before. The inaugural blazer given to the general, oh. Bob Lee. Bob Lee. Last year, Super Julie Foudy. Oh. We are not worthy, Rog. We're not worthy. Let me just say that tonight, Davo and I are aiming, and this is lofty. We firmly believe if we operate at a near suboptimal level, we can make sure this is in the top three golden blazers of all time. Ames. Ames. Top four, anyway. Ames. All right? Let's start, though. In the mo- we like to start high in the most optimal of ways and then just have everything go to crap. They've seen our show. As you know, there's not a day I don't get out of bed and thank God that I live in the United States of America. It's true. It's what he does every day. So let's start the show in the most wondrous of ways. Please stand and let us sing the song that I hear in my mind every time DeAndre Yedlin prepares to take a throw-in for Sunderland. It's amazing throw-ins. Bethany Perkins. Oh, say can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming whose broad stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight, o'er the ramparts we walk. 
were so gallantly Perkins, everybody, give a hand for Bethany Perkins. I gotta tell you, Rog, yeah. we've had the national anthem sung at all of our shows. Yeah. That was my very favourite rendition ever. What a voice. I like what the one voice. where they sang the second verse too. Yeah. On the shore dimly seen through the mists of the deep. I'm, <laughs> I'm preparing for my citizenship. That's like. <laughs> <laughs> it's, he, he doesn't like paperwork. He does Where not the like foes haughty host in dread silence. Anyway, America. Yeah. Okay, uh, Rog. We meet a dark time for US soccer, let's be honest, we guys. Do. We really do. I mean, Guatemala, 95th in the FIFA rankings. The US under-23s are done. Our US women's national team are at war with ourselves. Yeah. What can make us feel better, Davey? Guinness. Yes. Guinness, Rog. More Guinness. A bit more Guinness. I've been looking forward to doing this since the tickets went on sale. Oh, it's going. I don't pour mine, I'm going straight out the can. As you say in America, look I am. Look I am. Okay. Okay, Rog. To the football, Rog. To the football. Oh, to Cheers. the football. Love you. Okay, Rog. Our first guest this evening has done for football in this country what Thomas Paine's common sense did for freedom. He's an American soccer pioneer covering World Cups dating back all the way to the Dark Ages, 1982. <laughs> These days, he plies his trade as host of ESPN's Outside the Lines, where, where despite our urging, he's yet to do an investigative piece on just how many teeth Jurgen Klopp actually has. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we welcome to the stage the first ever recipient of the Golden Blazer, the landlord of our Brazilian panic room, the general, Mr. Bob Lee. Thank you. Hold on, hold on. Oh. Cheers. Oh. Oh. Bob Lee, 
Bob Lee. Bob Lee. He looks so good in gold. He does. Bob Lee. Some of the kids who did this jacket about four years old are now about 13. <laughs> Bob Lee. <laughs> He can say anything he wants because he's Bob Lee. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Bob Lee, what sketches are to Ringo Starr? <laughs> you are to us. Can I just say, you look resplendent tonight. When I reached out to you to see if you could come here tonight in between busting the NFL for concussion abuse, <laughs> you emailed me wait, and you wait. just said, it will be fun. I need to start wearing the blazer for more than just family weddings. True. <laughs> you stand out at those affairs. Yeah. You gotta. You yeah. gotta. You are famous for so many things. Yep. You have at various times been a doppelganger for a young Kenny Loggins. Yep. <laughs> a young one. You are yes. our mentor, yep. Dave and me. Yep. You were a Golden Blazer winner the first. Back in the days when Devo and I smelt the blazer out of liquid gold ourselves. <laughs> yes. In a foundry that Devo built in my own bathtub. Yeah. <laughs> Still can't get those stains out. Yeah. Wow. Ooh. But above all, no American has broadcast football on US television longer than you. Yeah. Yeah. Back when you started, Seth Blatter was still a nice guy. And honest. Yeah. Brad Friedel was still a young guy. Mm -hmm. And even harder to believe, England was still good. Yeah. <laughs> you were a taste-making prophet for football in America, Bob. You were reported widely to have been present at the 1930 semi-final where yeah. Argentina <laughs> opened a can of 6-1 whoop-ass on the USA. They got into the semi-final. Yeah. Why don't you talk more about it? Yeah, you traveled by boat. It's all up on the G drive, check it out. <laughs> but of the thousand, we asked you tonight to come and join us in our loving bosom. Yeah. To process all the thousands of US games that you have broadcast. I thought this would lift my spirits. Yeah. When you thousands of times have worked out, you've walked into your walk-in closet, looked at those hundreds of pocket squares you own and thought, which will match my suit that I wear before broadcasting? Yeah, what are the top three moments ever in your broadcasting history involving the US men's national team, Bob Lee? All right, there have been so many. Yeah. But so much of what, when, you, when you're involved with the US national Can team. Can I just say one thing? Yes. Since video was invented. <laughs> Since video and YouTube were invented. Because yeah. we have no rights. Okay. Reverse order, number yeah, three. On. Number three. All right. So... <laughs> <laughs> so much of what we do with the U.S. national team revolves around Mexico. Ah. You may have heard of the nation, Roger. Your brow is furrowed. Your, your, your demeanor is intensely thoughtful. Yeah. But so much of it revolves around Azteca. Yeah. And those games and climbing to that press box. You're already at 7,000 feet of altitude. Yeah, you're out of breath. Well, before you even, before you even begin to climb up uh -huh. to the box, which is interminable. And then you realize you're up there, and it's, and it's open like this, which means as the game progresses, if things don't go to the home team's <laughs> favor, 
all sorts of things can shower down upon you. Yeah. Keep telling yourself it's beer. Keep You're telling exactly. yourself it's beer. Keep telling yourself it's beer. I hope it's beer. It's beer. Doesn't smell like beer. But uh, wiser then. Yeah. <laughs> so let's go back. It was in the wake of the Snow Classico. Remember the Snow Classico? Oh, do I remember it? I it was three fingers. years ago, two weeks ago, in Denver, when I had the snow mullet. <laughs> the game against Costa Rica with the driving 60, 70 mile an hour winds, the snow coming in, the field covered, the United States grinding out a 1-0 victory over a Costa Rican team that took it as a national insult that the game was not abandoned and was continued. And of course, the United States got the three points. They'd never seen snow. Exactly. It was in the wake of losing in Honduras, in San yeah. Pedro Sula, badly, 2-1, bad, bad late goal. And here was the United States with no points after one match, having to win and winning the Snow Classico. Now we go, we leave Denver, we fly to Mexico no City. No Tim Howard. Tim Howard had literally broken his back. Oh. He had cracked vertebrae, which meant Brad Guzan was in goal, which meant it was going to be a, yes. This is back when Villa had a team. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. And so it, it, it came to pass that it was, yes, there was a point, one back there in 1997, but on that evening, a scoreless draw. We were right by the what passes for the luxury boxes at that level, and these were not happy home fans. But it was an important point, and from opening with a loss and that tough Snow Classical victory, now we had the, the point of gold, a point at Estac. You once said to me Beautiful. you would never hang this game on the wall like a Rembrandt, but it taught America the beauty of a 0-0 draw. Yeah. Exactly. Different to your next game, Bob. There we are. Thank you for the prompt. Because all of this was built on the back of a year earlier. Yeah. For some reason unknown to God, man, and science, the Mexican Federation decided to invite the United States down to Azteca for a friendly. <laughs> now, that's an oxymoron, certainly, between these nations. But it gives you a free chance at altitude to play there, to learn the atmosphere, to get a sense of the altitude, the air, the ambiance, this death-defying structure of Azteca. And on that night, they were also, in the wake of the London Olympics, they were honoring the so-called golden generation of Mexico players. And there was a big show at, at, at the half. They had, they had fireworks now, oh. that were, well... <laughs> it wasn't Disney World, is well, what you're it, trying to say, Bob. They didn't quite have military precision. So as we were <laughs> ducking at halftime, as, as, as these things were flying past... They might not have been fireworks. Yep. <laughs> In dark. Incoming! <laughs> Tim Howard did play that night as we say, stood on his head for two insane saves in the 84th and 85th minutes. And in the, at, the, at the death, in the dying moments of the game, I don't know how Michael Orozco Fiscal, as he was known at the time, a defender, was on his off wing at the opposite post, but there he was. Let's see it. Cut back towards Breck Shea. Now he's got a chance to run his Shea. Just lost control at the vital moment, plays it in towards Boyd, and the USA do have the lead, and it's a Roscoe Fiscal, can you believe that, who's poked it over the... The blow to the national pride, to lose at Azteca to Estados Unidos, it punctured the myth of the stadium. Wow. And, and you How had... did you get out alive? We waited a while. 
I'm not kidding. We waited a while. It, it, it got ugly. And, you and had we to do finished post match comments uh, uh, under a. Under an umbrella because down it came. It came beer, it came the pieces beer. of lime, it came what you hoped was beer, and it got ugly. And we finished the match under a large Churchillian umbrella. You'll appreciate that. <laughs> Are you that ready? was number two. Are you ready, David? Just about ready for Bobbly moment number one. Diora, who plays it deep, Saife, with a header. Howard gratefully claims it. Distribution, brilliant. Landon Donovan, there are things on here for the USA. Can they do it here? Cross, and Dempsey is denied again. And Donovan has scored. Oh, can you believe this? Go, go, USA. Certainly through. Oh, it's incredible. You could not run. That's that guy from the Wells Fargo commercial. <laughs> I was hosting that with Steve McManaman at our World Cup set in Johannesburg. About two minutes earlier, England had gotten their result. They were through. At that moment, England were leading the group. So Maka, the pressure was off this, this Brit fellow who was with me. And now with all the attention focused there. And when that ball went in, the control room went bat bleep. We did as well. It was insane because it was all there. I mean, we had this, and you've all seen the YouTube videos. I think that was the first example of these, these viral YouTube videos of everyone sharing their moments together. And it was actually, an you had to physically step away from the set, Maka and I, take a deep breath, compose yourself, because we got to go on television and make sense out of this. That was transcendent. You once said to me, as Landon's shot hit the back of the net, we created a lot of new lifelong American soccer fans in that very second. That endures to this day. I've just got to tell you, just watching that goal again with you, maybe it's the Golden Blazer, but it gives me what I've just this week found out medically is known as a nipplegasm. Yeah. <laughs> Where are we now, Bob? We've just survived an international week which was dark and full of terrors. I've got to say, watching you, and I talked about this on the podcast, watching you broadcast the Guatemala game, when you popped on the screen, I just screamed out on my television, cuddle me now, nation's dad. <laughs> <laughs> tell me it'll all be okay. I couldn't tell you that at the beginning because we had emotion, angst, anticipation. We had everything in Columbus except a margin for error. There was no margin for error. How bad are things right now, I guess, uh, is the question. We How, tell us, doctor. They're not bad. as bad as, as, as hiring a plane to overfly Crew Stadium to call for Klinsman's firing. They're not as bad as the uh, talk show mentality or the radio uh, sports uh, phone-in mentality, which does not exist in this room, I, I assure you. I well, except I for that, that guy who just well, said Klinsman out. Have his ass thrown out that of here, one. would you please? Yeah. Um, that was Sunil Gilati. <laughs> <laughs> Sunil, thanks for coming, Thanks mate. for coming, Sunil. He should stay. There might be something else that interests him this evening. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes. The, I just uh, remembered Yes. <laughs> okay, good. You'll all get this in a little bit, okay. but they. <laughs> uh, it, listen. We're honoring Seth Blatter in a minute. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's a results business. You can promise a new style, you can talk about that. At the end of the day, you are as good as your players. 
you, you, you have seen an incremental increase in talent, the talent pool, the size of the pool, but the hex is the hex. You talk to European players, and I've seen these conversations. So guys like Casey and Alexi and Taylor trying to explain to guys like Balak and Gilberto Silva. And Matt Biasca. Exactly, well, <laughs> about what it's like. You guys qualify in Europe, you'll get on a train, you'll get on a 90-minute uh, flight, the climate doesn't change, the hour, the clocks don't change, you don't meet a, a hostile population. When the United States Unless goes- to Stoke. This is true. Yeah. Yeah, or Millwall. Yeah. <laughs> we, do mil have, we do have Kazakhstan. <laughs> For a Millwall brick. Um, yeah. But it's no, CONCACAF's hex is unique, I think, in the world, and it forges a better team. Just to qualify is an accomplishment. You can and it's say, getting stronger. It it's is. It's getting stronger, and that's good for the U.S. men's national team that CONCACAF is getting stronger. Exactly, and, and so. Glass half full, glass half empty. Exactly. So where are we? We're, we're in a position now where the other evening in Columbus, when the match started, we were in danger of falling off the table. Now we're in a position where we can easily see the United States qualify for the hex on the next to last match day and take all the pressure off that match with TNT. And winning the World Cup, obviously. Yeah, exactly. Bob, it, only, only if Beckerman's in the side. It, thank yeah. you, thank you, thank you. Here's what I want to tell you. There's certain truths in life, even though right now the US men's national team are certain, definitely, Giving us a rocky roller coaster. There are some truths that Davo and I hold sacrosanct. Yeah. What we do know, Bob, is that we love and revere you. Yeah. You're like a mentor to two grown men who, frankly, should not need mentors at this age. Yeah. <laughs> You're a role model for thousands more men and women like us across this nation. And with great pride, we want, we've already given you the bloody golden blaze up. So we wanted to give you something tonight that would show our appreciation, right, Dave? And we thought, Men in Blazers national team jersey. Oh, my. It is my great pleasure, Mr. Bob Lee, mentor, the general, our hair hero. I, uh, I will treasure this. It will take its a, a, a custom spot next to this in the wardrobe, only for special bar mitzvahs, family weddings, weddings, and the occasional funeral. It was yeah. designed for. <laughs> it was designed for circumcisions, Bob. Yeah. I gotta Don't be honest. Don't you call them brisses? Shalom. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely wear it the next time you see uh, Ian Dark reversed. I think that would be great. Really good. I would really genuinely love us all, because Dave and I love and revere this man. Can we just give the first inaugural Golden Blazer? Recipient. Recipient. <laughs> the welcome. love, the love, the pure, absolute love that he deserves. Ladies and gentlemen, the general, Mr. Bob Lee. Uh, General Bobbly, presented by Mini Cooper. Yeah. <laughs> Just to synopsize, America, it's going to be all right. We're still going to win the 2018 World Cup. Yeah. That was the least confident woo I've ever heard in my yeah. life. You, you're turning into English people. 
Okay, that was Seton Hall's finest, uh, Rog. But our next guest is a proper rock star. A proper rock star, Rog. His band has sold more than 110 million records worldwide. By the way, he just said his, so it's not Tracy Chapman. (laughs) But well before he sat behind a drum kit at sold-out arenas around the globe, he was a child in Denmark. Following football and making the occasional pilgrimage to Stamford Bridge in support of his beloved Chelsea. Thank you. Master of puppets. Ladies and gentlemen, we welcome to the stage a 2009 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee, a founding member of Metallica, ahead of Record Store Day, the re release of Metallica's two classic albums, Kill 'em All and Ride the Lightning, the one and only Mr. Lars Ulrich. All right, then, Guinness for everybody, huh? Yeah. Wow. Lars, welcome. 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 Snagai Dansk. Welcome. Can you see me up at Dansk? You can see Preben Elkjær. Can you see Finn Laudrup? Michael Laudrup? Michael Laudrup. Jan Møbel. Jan Møbel. Jan Møbel. Jan Møbel. for helvede. Okay. Everyone, thank you for coming. All right, yeah. Then, yeah. Lars. I am so glad that you are here. Can we just hear it for Lars Bloody Ulrich? Yeah. Wow, oh, Lars! And everybody's having the Guinness down there with you guys. Yeah. Wow. It's just free choice <laughs> here. Like Freedom really cool. of choice, Lars. <laughs> Americans who love football. America's love amazing. Americans love football. Can you say? Watch the English Premier League. And there Every isn't a TV camera anywhere. That's the best part of it. <laughs> no, no, no. NBC are here, and they made sure that we didn't have cameras covering this. <laughs> Can I say one of the things I've been working on personally in my own life is to spend more time around rock sex gods like yourself. <laughs> okay. And how's that working out for you so far? Okay, then. (laughs) (laughs) We're honoured to have you here. You have lived a great American life, a great American life. You Uh, moved to Newport Beach, California in 1979. Close enough, yeah. You were 16. (laughs) You wanted to follow in your dad's footsteps. Torben Ulrich. Let's hear it for Torben. Oh, Torben Ulrich. We love Torben Ulrich. You know him as the great... 87 years old and still kicking. I've been watching YouTube videos of your dad all week, and I I genuinely do want to meet him. But you he was a great tennis player. That he was. You played Wimbledon for many years. You planned to become the next great Dane in tennis, the male Wozniacki. (laughs) And as a 16-year-old, you got to the Nick Bolletieri Tennis Academy in Sarasota, Florida. But then you ran into a steamroller, the pride of Buffalo, Jimmy Arias. Oh, Jimmy, Jimmy Arias, that's right. Yeah. Very and good player. You said, yeah. I realized my ability wasn't enough to be a successful <laughs> professional and the discipline necessary was not in it for me. That sounds like something I would say. Yeah. Sounded, like less, you, yeah. sounded like you were introduced to beers yeah. and girls, uh, Lars. Some, yeah. There's a, place, there's a place just outside of Copenhagen called Christiania. I don't know if anybody, yeah, see? I was introduced to Christiania in 1979. So the, the people that know, know what that means, right? What kind of a tennis player were you? So I was a junior tennis player. I came I was, here to um, America to play tennis. What kind of a player were you? 
uh, my big hero was Guillermo Vilas. Oh, oh. And so I, um, the legs, the, the thighs yeah, on that exactly man. Exactly the. Uh, oh, the thighs on uh, that man. Uh, I love men, Roger. That was love why, that's, that's love why I Pe loved him because of the thighs. Pe oh, the thighs. <laughs> I gotta tell you, people often stop me in the street and think I'm G Vilas. Uh, oh. <laughs> he, uh, he was like the coolest. He had long hair and he was yeah, kind of. The headband you, always exactly. around. Him. So when you were Fucking growing up hand. in Denmark, you were sort of uh, living in the shadow of Sweden, and yeah. so you, you sort of, I had to rebel against Bjorn Borg, even though I yeah. sort of secretly liked him. But <laughs> yeah. Vilas was like the cool guy. Vilas yeah, he was, was amazing. The cool guy. So you played that kind of a game. Uh, I was actually up. I was ranked uh, in the top ten in Denmark for a couple of years, and when I was 14, 15, and 16, and then when I moved to Newport Beach in, in 1980, I wasn't actually ranked in the top ten on the street that I lived on. So it, yeah, it was really uh, really pathetic. America is pretty yeah. humbling so to European I tennis know, players. I don't know if that says more about Denmark or about uh, Southern California, but. Um, <sighs> But so the whole tennis thing kind of dissipated and then rock and roll yeah. took over. America is the country where you learn that your second service is crap. Yeah. <laughs> Capriati beat me when she was eight. Honestly, when she was eight. <laughs> wow. But following your father to Wimbledon, it allowed you to explore England that took you for the first time. <laughs> To Stamford Bridge. That's right. Chelsea. 1973. I gotta tell Back you, in the heyday. I watched Some Kind of Monster, the Metallica documentary. You are so driven, so intense. Saint Anger, the art auction scene for people who've seen it. I know. All I could think... But wait, we were just talking just about Chelsea. Wait, hang on I'm going to tell you. The whole, the whole, <laughs> no. Let me just explain something else. There's a long analogy coming no, right no, now okay. that, involves, uh, 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 that involves Game of Thrones, uh, uh, The Love Boat, Gotcha. And probably American politics gotcha. circa I'll, uh, 1947. I'll hang back. I'll, I'll hang back. You, let me tell you this. I was trying to watch your movie the night before the US almost were eliminated from the World Cup. I thought, I will watch a movie that will take my mind completely off football. And I watched it. And all I could think of the whole time, it's an amazing two hours, oh, 30 minutes. What a film. All I could think of is, Lars Ulrich, he is so bloody Chelsea. It's unbelievable. Let's <laughs> see. <laughs> I, how Chelsea You were just was. sitting there going, Lars Ulrich, Charlie Cook, <laughs> Lars Ulrich, Charlie Cook, right? Peter Osgood. Oh, the, the, that's right. How Chelsea, oh, how did you encounter these guys? Why did you um, wed yourself well, to Chelsea? Well, growing up in Denmark in the 70s, there was one television channel. And every Saturday, uh, we had the, uh, you know, the match piped in from the English First Division. It wasn't called the Premier yeah. League at the time. It was the First Division. And that was in the heyday of you know, Leeds, Stoke, <sighs> Chelsea, Obviously, Arsenal, uh, Man Tottenham, United, and so. But it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was, you know, uh, Gordon Banks, um, uh, Billy Bremner, yeah. uh, Charlie Cook, Peter Osgood, uh, Bobby Hutch Charlton, Ian Hutchinson, yeah, yeah, my favorite Chelsea right. player. There. Alan Ball, yeah, oh with my a, God, with what a, a player ginger Alan Ball hair. Was. Yeah, good and, for the gingers. Um, all those guys, Billy Bremner, little yeah. five little foot, ginger. you know, fucking yeah. pit bull, you know. Oh, it was me. Um, so those were the those were the, the the golden years for me, and we would just sit around um, the television, glued yeah. every Saturday afternoon, and and watch the match of the week coming in yeah. from from England. It was better uh, than anything else on Danish television. There wasn't imagine. anything else on Danish television, <laughs> <laughs> and and there was no real. I mean, there wasn't any football coming in from anywhere else. I mean, at that time, the the Bundesliga, or the Dutch First Division, or whatever. I mean, it was all about England. And it wasn't MLS just, was yet to be one of the top five leagues yeah. in the world. Right, right, right. <laughs> and it wasn't just actually limited to, to English football. I mean, it was also 
you know, the English music, you know, coming in. We grew up on a steady dose of Sweet and Slade and Status Quo wow. and all that type of Quo. stuff. Quo. Like status Quo, yeah. But oh, Chelsea Quo. were a fantastic club back then. I mean, Charlie Cook, this, this Scottish character, Bonnie yeah. Prince Charlie, the yeah. quote about him that I used to love was that when he played on snow, he wouldn't leave any footprints. I mean, he was a, <laughs> yeah. he was a character and he played with Peter Osgood. This <laughs> Peter is Chelsea, Osgood, yeah, Chelsea yeah. fused back when you watched yeah. them. Yeah. Football. Yeah. And pop culture. It was yeah, yeah. it was Raquel Welsh was hanging yeah. out in the locker room. The yeah. Peter Osgood scored his hundredth goal. Yeah. He said he walked into the yeah. locker room, was like, I'm here, yeah. celebrate me. He said no one gave a crap. Yeah. And he looked around, all his teammates were huddled around Steve McQueen who was smoking cigarettes yeah, right, in the yeah, corner. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but was, I mean they were like they were a group of rock stars, Chelsea yeah. at that time. They really were. Their captain <laughs> at this era was named Ron Chopper. Harris. <laughs> right. How do you think name? he got that name? Right. It's not, he didn't own a helicopter. That's uh, <laughs> all I'm saying. We're not going to talk about Chelsea this season. Oh, come on. The Let's... campaign can be best summed up as <laughs> dreams of war, dreams of liars, dreams of dragons, fire, and things that will bite. Yeah. There you go. Okay, then. I, I do want to touch upon Denmark for a second. We love Denmark. Kasper Schmeichel, Christian Eriksen. These, the, yeah. My old favorites. Thomas yeah. Graveson, the mad yeah. dog, Stick oh. Tofting. Spurs, right? Uh, yeah. Christian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mid yeah. Midfield. T- stick Tofting. Yeah. Midfielder by day. Oh, biker stick gang tofting. member I by night. Stick yeah. Tofting. The amazing thing I want to ask you about Danish football is that 1984, Euro semi-final out of nowhere. When they beat, yeah, when everyone. they came and won. They yeah. beat everyone, and then in 86 in Mexico, when they made it all the way to the semifinals. Amazing. And they were 1-0 ahead Against uh, Spain. in Spain up till, till the second half. And then they lost And then all of a sudden, they, Spain scored like 19 goals in the first <laughs> yeah, exactly. five minutes of the <laughs> On second. On horseback. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was that kind of a game. We were, yeah. we were on tour. Metallica were on tour with uh, Ozzy at the time, uh, playing arenas. We were down in Texas. And, um, that's right. Yeah, that's right. And uh, at that time, you know, pre-ESPN, pre-you know, 700 sports channels and all that type of stuff. If you wanted to watch football, you had to go to places that were Hispanic. So yeah. you had to go to find like uh, Mexican restaurants, Mexican bars, or whatever. Yeah. And we had a show in Corpus Christi, Texas. And at like 11 o'clock in the morning, me and a few of the bandmates found a local Mexican restaurant and watched Spain. Denmark in the semis, and we were up, uh, you know, for the first 50 minutes, <laughs> one nil, and then it all went to shit from there. Uh-huh. But at least uh, we—it's uh, like being we a Liverpool fan. That was, uh, yeah. and that was in the, and that was in the golden age of uh, Preep and Elkare and uh, yeah, it, Jan Milby it, and uh, in, in those, Morten, in those Pronounce that for me, because I always said Jan Molby. Mulby. <laughs> okay, wait a minute. Let me try to do it. Mulby. Mulby. Really like short and flat. Mulby. And Mulby. Ang- sound like you're angry. And- Mulby. 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 Uh, Yen Mulby. Yen Mulby. But, but, yeah. but, but then you had Michael Laudrup. You had Jesper Olsen. Michael Laudrup or Jesper Olsen. You had four players. Yeah. <laughs> four players. And Fra- Fra- Frank, Frank Arneson. Frank Arneson. Frank Arneson. Frank Arneson. Søren Lierby. What I'm fascinated yeah, by is your, is your fans. The Rolligans. Yeah, the Rolligans. Yeah, yeah. From the Danish word for calm and mild-mannered. Yeah. yeah. They're the most joyous fans I've ever encountered. Well, it was the, the op- opposite of the, obviously, of the, da- of the English. Well, this is what I wanted to ask yeah. you about. Okay, I'm yeah, sorry if I beat you to it. No, no, no. There's an equation in my life growing up with Davo in England. Yeah. Beer mm-hmm. plus football fan <laughs> equal people who like the taste of their own blood in their mouths. Yeah. <laughs> you guys... In your DNA, what is it about Danish people that makes you such happy drunks? You know what? I 
Maybe we got all of that out of our systems with the Vikings a thousand years yes. before. <laughs> you pillaged, <laughs> right. you pillaged everyone. Yeah, including up north in England, right? Yeah. Uh, for for a few years. Yeah, my middle name uh, is the, Peterson. Yeah, the yeah, monkey exactly. on the beach. I got right? done. My people got <laughs> yeah, done. Yeah, yeah. The monkey yeah. on the beach and all that, right? Yeah, my people got done. <laughs> Done um, by the Danes. But we, uh, so what you say, what saying is success is very yeah. mellowing. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But but the Danes, the Danish supporters are obviously known for being uh, super calm and cool and wearing, you know, the Danish uh, red flag yeah. as makeup on their faces and wearing these silly hats. Viking you know, helmets. Yeah, yeah. They wear a few Viking yeah. helmets. I mean, and occasional Viking helmets. Viking, yeah. Viking helmets, sorry. happy yeah. people. Viking. Viking. Yeah, right. yeah. You seem to like yourselves, which is something I find totally befuddling. Yeah. <laughs> there, aren't, uh, there aren't many of us, so we have to stick up not only for each other, but for ourselves. You know? yeah. There's only five million of us. One of the things I love about you is that to find success 30 years ago, Insert World War I poetry here and uh, some illusions <laughs> and stuff. Now, back to you. <laughs> you. You head off to San Francisco. You, you want to play metal. You're in Los Angeles. Uh, yeah. Hair metal ruled Los Angeles. That it did, yes. Dokken, rat. Yes, Motley Crue. Oh, yep. They ruled, dude. That they did. But you were like, hair. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Hair, it's overrated. Well, you were like, yeah. you yeah. found this innovative metal sound in, in the Bay Area, Southern California, fashion conscious glam, like the Tottenham Hotspur. You were like, you, you were like high speed, gritty sound. You were more Stoke City. Uh, Stoke City. Maybe. And my question is really for you, I guess, about hair. It's importance to men in rock, because your story, we're seeing this maturing Lars Ulrich. You had it, you lost it, you toyed with a mullet for a little period. Yeah. yeah. And then you accepted. But listen, listen, you my mullet, my mullet was second to James Hetfield. May I please <laughs> add fast here? Thank you. Yes, I keep asking. Uh, this uh, is. I asked my barber for a James Hetfield mullet. This is uh, what I get. That was you, like Billy Cyrus territory. Oh, trust me. The great day, uh, Cyrus. Uh, um, you accepted uh, the bald truth. I want to ask you about hair. In metal, uh, it seems so key. Is it possible? I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> this even by, your, can I just say something? Even by Roger's standards, this is the longest wind-up to a question <laughs> ever. Wow. It's, it's only five pages. Okay. Is, is, is it possible to rock as a bald? Please tell me, Lars Ulrich. Phil Collins? No. Um, <laughs> no, 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 no. That was too easy. No, that was too easy. Stop. Oh, my God. I'm going to get a hair Stop. transplant on Monday. Um, I would like to think that we at least still uh, give it our best shot, so I would say the answer is yes. But I will say that back in, back in, uh, in L.A. in the early 80s when we, were, when we made a, a, a sort of hasty exit up to San Francisco, I mean, the, the bands that were inspiring to us and that were motivating us were obviously British bands like Motorhead, yeah. Iron Maiden, <sighs> uh, Saxon. You know, even Saxon. Saxon. There's a real <laughs> British band. Sorry. I know. From Barnsley. Yeah. 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 Uh, from Barnsley. Yeah. Uh, and um, that must really make the Vikings lo laugh <laughs> because it's like they're lost to your people. Oh, right. They're in Barnsley yeah. and they still call themselves Saxon. That's right. So obviously, all these bands were the, uh, the, the polar opposite and the antithesis to what was going on in LA with Motley Crue and Dawkins and Rat and all those. So, um, you know, we spent two years in LA emulating those bands, not washing, and, uh, and ended up in San Francisco in 1983 and have been proud to call San Francisco home ever since. Wow, oh. fantastic. fantastic. You, you have become the, most, the most European-minded city in North America. I hate, hate, you, hate you, Hey, hey, hard kift, yeah. hard kift. 
Jan Mølby. Jan Mølby. Jan Mølby. You become one of the greatest drummers of all time, but I love you for your acting. You stole series one of billions, I gotta tell you. Yes. And I spoke to oh. the co-creator, Brian Koppelman, this morning. He used to be the A&R man at Electra That's in his right. 20s. Yeah. That's right. And he told, me, he told me one thing you need to know about Lars <laughs> is that in the olden days... We love billions. He We're said, insane about it, actually. He said, We're insane he, about billions. He told me Lars's motto was, and I love this, I'm gonna, I don't have any tattoos, but if I do, I might get this tattooed on my person. If you want to hang out with me... You have to be ready to hang out with me till six in the morning. <laughs> he told me scenes like Cameron Crowe movies oh, ensued. And I, I don't know if you're aware of the fat laws, but let me enlighten you. <laughs> Podgot. This pod- is like I'm getting my wiki read back to me, right? That's basically <laughs> what this is, right? <laughs> and now come on our show and we'll read you your Wikipedia. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you can't trust Wikipedia. You gotta go to Brian Copperman. I don't know if you know this, Lars, but podcasters don't get laid very much. (laughs) So you've lived the life, the life many out here wish they lived as teens before they got jammed into soulless cubicles and all that crap. What is the greatest life lesson you can impart on us from your life experience, your life experiences, Lars? When I came to America, the whole kind of thing about goals, everybody's like, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, I'm going to do this, you know, it's like, how about you just live and enjoy and be in the moment and so not... There was no Metallica have... PowerPoint, is what there you're saying. There was none of that. No, we were just in the moment. And we, when we started the band, we just wanted to be like, you know, like an English band, you know, playing down at the local pub on a Saturday night type of thing. We had no sort of uh, visions of grandeur and arenas and spectacle and all that. Type. We just wanted to you know, play and sweat and drink and do all the stuff that you guys are doing here. Wow. And then... Except we're still in the pub. Right, exactly. (laughs) That's what we wanted to do. And then slowly it sort of started evolving from there. But it was never like a goal-oriented thing about making Metallica, you know, the biggest thing in the world. It, uh, and I'm happy the fact that we, you know, unlike, say, uh, and obviously nothing against them, but like Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Guns N' Roses, a lot of these bands that put their first records out and sold like 10 million copies of their first record. We put our records out and subsequent, every record was a little bigger than the last one. So we didn't really become super huge till I guess the fourth or the fifth record. So we had more of a kind of a European rise in popularity, which was really good for the mental health. And um, so I'm happy about everything, the way it played out and that it was something that was a gradual rather than overnight. So, um, there's not anything about the whole Metallica thing I would change. And you've remembered who you are because it's Record Store Day. That's April right. 16th. That's Metallica, right. this year's Record ambassadors. Stores, yeah. Tell uh, Young yeah, America yeah. Yeah. what it is that is emotively making you rally to the course. Well, independent record stores have always been a place of gathering and a place of inspiration. When I was a kid growing up in Copenhagen, going to the record store two or three times a week, that was like the highlight of my week. This. You'd go in, through, you'd go in and do that, but there was also another thing you could do in record stores was you could take a record, Hear you it. could go hand it to the listen clerk, to and then you could stand on a counter and you could listen to it with headphones oh, on. And you, that's right. And you would stand there and you would uh, look at the sleeve and if you liked it, you'd buy it and take it home, and it was super cool. So record stores have always been, and independent record scene has always been a big part of who Metallica is. So um, we were asked to be the ambassadors this year. That's so uh, we're putting out two uh, re-releases. Our first two records, Kill Em All and Ride the Lightning, are coming out next Saturday. And we are playing a show in a 
in a record store in Berkeley, California that's about half the size of the stage. That's the whole size of the store uh, on Saturday. So we're looking forward to that. That's it's going to be fun. Right? right? Never forget where you're from. Right back to what we talked about with just playing and having fun and sweating and doing all that in a small confined space. Final question. <laughs> what is it like to ride the lightning? <laughs> I mean, it's a very Danish... That's a very Danish concept, riding the lightning. Um, probably not particularly pleasant would be yeah. my guess. It's better um, than riding a bus, <laughs> I would imagine. <laughs> or maybe faster. Yeah, that's a whole other conversation for another time. Okay, good. We'll do that on the next podcast, do it on the TV show. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, a great Thank new you. American, a great Dane, Mr. Lars Ulrich! Thank you. Okay, Roger, we're getting closer. I've remembered now who's getting the golden blazer. Wow. Wow. But uh, one more guess first. Lars isn't the only one here tonight with a hit song. In the summer of 2014, when we covered the World Cup in Rio, the crap part of Brazil, our next guest, an ESPN statistician, he had a certified club banger of his own. It's a song sure to leave your nipples tingling, and it goes a little something like this. Paul Carr blows your mind. I said, Paul Carr blows your mind. I said, Paul Carr blows your mind. I said, Paul Carr blows your mind. Paul The one and only Paul Carr. Oh. Can, okay. I, can I just say, I always knew someday Metallica would open for me. <laughs> if you have never been in a studio with Paul Carr, let me just tell you, he's like Russell Crowe in Beautiful Mind. He just writes numbers oh. on Windows. Some of his best friends are numbers, Rod. 38 and I are having a good time right now. Oh. Paul Carr, you have three shots of blowing our collective minds. Yeah. If Paul Carr blows your mind with one of these three stats, what do you need to do? Oh. Yeah, I said, yeah we, we, need a, we need a little, we need a mechanism for this, Rog. We say wow when Paul Carr blows our mind. But let's face it, he doesn't always blow our mind as much with some stats as he does with others. So we need three different levels of wow. So let's do the first wow if Paul Carr gives us out of three a grade one mind blow. It would be, sort of be a wow, wow. How about a grade two level wow? It would be a wow, wow. And then how about a grade three level wow? Wow! Okay, so you're, gonna, you're, on, the, you're on the wow grading system now, okay. Paul. All right. Blow our minds. It's out of our hands, Pete. Number one. All right. So you were talking with Bob Lee about how the US was in trouble. Yeah. We didn't know what was going to happen going into that Tuesday game in Columbus. We didn't. This is why everyone was so concerned going into that game. Okay. Because the FIFA rankings, take them for what they will, but they're something. They began back in 1992. In 25 years of the FIFA rankings, that Friday loss, 2-0 to Guatemala, was the first time any team ranked outside the top 70 had beaten the U.S. by two goals. Wow. I think that's a level two. Maybe a one and a half. 
But it's a little negative about the US, so we've got to factor that in, so I'll give it a two. I've got a favour to ask you. Okay. Paul. Yes. Can you stop making up such bad stats about the US men's national team? (laughs) I would love to. I've got a theory that the more positive you are in your stat creation, I think the team would play a lot better. All right. Paul Carr, fact number two. We're going to get a little next level on you here. Okay. Expected goals is a stat that basically says, here's how many goals the team should have scored on average, given the shots that they took. So uh, an up-close shot is worth more than a shot from 35 yards, et cetera. So you can tell by this which teams are kind of underachieving. Okay, explain that again, because you lost me. Okay. And I know I I am below the level of intelligence of everybody here, but I'm just trying to catch up. Just hit us with a bloody stat, Paul. I'm ready. I'm braced. (laughs) Okay. All right, so here's an example. So based on expected goals... Yeah. The third most underachieving team in the Premier League this year is Aston Villa. They've yeah. scored seven goals less than they're expected to, given the shots that they've taken. Okay. That well, makes sense. America's Only seven. Yeah. But they do have Agbon Lahore. Oh, okay. By the way, by the way, there's one Aston Villa oh, fan over there. He's here. He's like, what? Hey. Uh, West Ham, sorry. Uh, West Ham, sorry. Uh, fair enough. Sorry. That's not the Aston Villa season. It's you an easy serious? claret and blue mistake. Yeah. Okay. You spelled Paye wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, sure. <laughs> they screwed up. So your second worst team yeah. in the Premier League, according to expected goals, the biggest underachiever is Watford. They scored yeah. eight goals below their expected total wow. this year. Where's this going for? Okay. <laughs> the biggest underachiever in the Premier League this season, yeah. according to expected goals, yeah. with 12 goals below their projected total, yeah. Arsenal. Oh! oh! Wow! Wow! Level three, wow. I like that stat. Explain that. So that means that Arsenal... That means means Arsenal's taking really good shots and they're not scoring enough. It really was Arsenal's title to lose. It really was. Can I just tell you something for Arsenal fans in the audience? You're number one. Yeah. Number one underachiever. Add something. No trophy. Finally, Paul, the final stat that is going to blow our mind somewhere between a wow and a wow. Do better, Paul. John Skipper is listening to this. You know me. <laughs> There's John Skipper. <laughs> Thank you, sir. He's, he's a Tottenham fan. He's a Tottenham fan. Yeah. So you get a lot of soccer games decided by one goal. You know, so a, a toe, the, a finger, games. a goalpost can make the difference. Yeah. So they can often decide the course of a season, of a championship. Uh-huh. This year in the Premier League, third place Arsenal, six and four in one goal games. Second place Tottenham, six and six and four in one goal games. The team with the best record in the league in one goal games this season, with four more wins than any other team. First place Leicester City, fourteen and two in one goal games. Wow! Come on, fourteen and two is a wow. I know we would have thought Leicester, but fourteen and two. That's numbers. Can I just wow. ask one question? Numbers. How many Arsenal fans are there in here tonight? How many, how many Tottenham fans are in here tonight? How many Leicester City fans are in here tonight? How many Bournemouth fans are there in here tonight? I think the same person screamed four times yeah. there. <laughs> Just loves the Premier League. Loves everyone. <laughs> loves everyone. And can I be uh, honest, really the biggest mind-blowing thing is Leicester's in first place. Leicester is in first place. That is the most mind-blowing thing. Ladies and gentlemen, Paul Carr! <laughs>
Thank you. Wonderful. Okay, Rog. Now my mind's blue and I can't. Well, go no, off. we're really going to blow your mind now. Now the reason we're all here tonight: the presentation of the Golden Blazer. It is a gift we give to an individual who has left an indelible mark on the sport we love, in the country we love. This year, when we conclaved, Rog, with the first two winners, Bob Lee and Julie Foudy, Super Julie Foudy, we reflected on what a remarkable year it has been for football in this country. The US women won the World Cup. Young Jordan Morris scored his first goal for the Von Trapps. And NBC continued to allow bald men on television. In a year like this, we knew we needed a big winner. So big, in fact, that their security detail precluded us from being in their presence tonight. <laughs> but last week, while Davo was at Stamford Bridge interviewing for the Chelsea managerial job... I, did, I didn't get it. I travelled... You might yet will. <laughs> I travelled to Washington, D.C. to interview the winner and officially present the, two, <laughs> the 2016 Golden Blazer. Yes. Behold... The awarding of this year's Blazer of Gold. Our guest today is a bona fide American hero whose name will be etched in the annals of history alongside Abraham Lincoln, Martin Luther King Jr., and Tony Miola. Last year, from these very shores, this person sent shockwaves around the globe, accomplishing a feat of the unexpected, which for me was up there with the US's triumph over England at the 1950 World Cup. Ladies and gentlemen, it is a genuine honor to present to you the great American who took down Set Blatter, the woman the world calls the FIFA hunter, the 83rd Attorney General of these United States of America, the one and only Ms. Loretta Lynch. Well, thank you so much for having me on your show. Oh, thank you for joining us here today. Everything I know about the Justice Department, I've learned by watching Paul Giamatti in Billions. <laughs> but when I look at your life and your career arc, I just marvel that the person who brought down FIFA and changed world football forever was born in Greensboro, North Carolina, yes. the daughter of a fourth-generation Baptist minister and a soft-spoken librarian. Then I dig into your story, Ms. Lynch. The more I read about you, the more I come to appreciate two crucial biographical details that made me realize that you were born for the task of FIFA fighting. Your football roots, they run deep. Your first encounter with football Fourth grade, yes. Latewood Elementary School. <laughs> yes, I heard you indeed. had mad skills. 
I'm not sure how mad they were. I think we were all running all over the field. But as a, as a kid, I loved soccer. It is one of the best sports available to every kid. And I'm tremendously happy to see it growing in popularity here in the United States. Seth Blatter watches our show. He likes our wig work. What message do you have for him if he's watching? I don't have a specific message for Mr. Blatter. Uh, my message really is to anyone who's involved in the great sport of football. As I've said before, the reform agenda is one that we hope will move forward. And we hope that FIFA as an entity can get back to its pure goal and its pure roots of supporting this sport, supporting the children who want to play and grow and advance, and that anyone who seeks to take FIFA back to the days of cronyism and bribery is living in the past and should not be part of FIFA's future. Oh, that is poetry to the ears of every true world football fan. Oh, now the moment I've been waiting for since May the 27th when you stood up and slayed FIFA. This blazer stands for an American who has grown the game we love and the country we love. This is the closest I'm ever going to get to being Jim Nance in the Butler cabin <laughs> as I present this to you. This year, it was a unanimous vote. It had to be you. So it's with great pleasure that I bestow upon you Attorney General Loretta Lynch, the Men in Blazers, Golden Blazer. There should be little angels singing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. I am so proud and honored to receive this on behalf of your show and all the fans and all the people who love football and who want this game to be the beautiful sport that it is, I thank you and I accept this on behalf of everyone at the Department of Justice who's worked so hard on this case. I've got two things to say. Number one, we shouldn't have left the tag in it. <laughs> <laughs> and number two, America. Tell you, there have been several times in the history of Men in Blazers when Rogers told me what his idea is, and I've said, "Oh yeah, Roger, that sounds like a really good idea." And I've turned to the team and I've just said, "It's never gonna happen." Amazingly, she said yes. Roger, you've never looked so big. <laughs> next to her. Tell us about a woman of grace, a woman of class, a moment that changed your life, I think. It's the first dream I've ever had that I've <laughs> captured live on video. <laughs> what a woman. You meet so many of your heroes in life and find out that they have clay feet. And let me assure you, tonight, America. Loretta Lynch has feet, size four. Beautiful, beautiful feet. They're made of gold. <laughs> and they have little diamonds, <laughs> fair trade diamonds, <laughs> as toenails. And I just want to say, meeting her and spending the afternoon with her and producer JW and producer Jen Simons last week, I thought I loved America. It made me love America all the more. She is a remarkable woman. Can we give her one more round yeah. of USA right. applause?
we did do a long interview. We'll release the whole thing as a podcast in a week. She is truly, truly, and I'm a horrible person and I'm very cynical. She's a remarkable human being and I adore her and she made me love America. And when I do get my citizenship, I want her to swear me in. He, he came back <laughs> and immediately started on the paperwork again. You did. Okay, we needed to, we needed to make up for her absence by inviting a British hero and a true hero for American soccer onto this stage tonight. We regard, we regard this man as right up there with Churchill, Larkin, and Sporty Spice. He fled the Midlands. That's basically another way of saying up north. For a broadcasting career that's included stops in Seattle and gantries around the United Kingdom. We've all fallen under the spell of his poetic lyricism. It is, after all, the soundtrack to every American soccer fan Saturday and Sunday morning. Let's take a look. Fuchs, who is the left back, who's galloping down the right-hand side, looking for his options, and he slides it through. Jamie Vardy, is this the moment? History is made! Jamie Vardy has scored in 11 consecutive Premier League games. Hands on hips, the teapot for Alan Pardew. Party time at Stamford Bridge. Party time at Stamford Bridge. Party time at Stamford Bridge. Bit of a flame-haired face-off in the centre of the park, isn't it, with Reed and Colback? Only you could say that, Arlo. <laughs> Being of a reddish hue myself. But it's retrieved by Monreal. It's a good cross, back in there, and it comes in! It's the equaliser for Giroud! The meaty French forehead of Olivier Giroud has probably earned Arsenal a point. Ladies and gentlemen, the person who may be the Premier League's head scriptwriter, the man who's a bit of a ginger himself, the one and only Mr Arlo White! Whole body. My life's getting weirder by the day. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you have now no idea how weird it's going to oh, get. Oh, like, <laughs> Very little it? idea. What is that aftershave you're wearing? I tell you, it smells, it smells amazing. Like how I imagine Robbie Musto looks. <laughs> it's amazing. What is it? It's Prada, darling. Ah. Oh. Sponsored. I didn't know they made an aftershave called let, Darling. Let, yeah, me, <laughs> let me jump right in with a question everyone in America wants the answer to. You've been doing Rebecca Lou's job for an entire week now. <laughs> Are you pregnant yet? <laughs> it's Rob Lowe's baby. No, 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 no. You don't get pre you get pregnant only from contact for Kyle Martino. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta say, Putin's a user's out of that man's pause. Yeah. Welcome back to America. Oh, thank I you, want. thank you very much. Thank you, everybody. Fantastic to be here. Thank you. Oh, we always say that we love America more than Kid Rock loves America. <laughs> but I've got to tell you, you might love it even more than we do. Yeah, you love America. I at, do love at America. At Horatio Gates levels, history fans. One of my favorite facts from your forthcoming biography. <laughs> What's it called? And they said Leicester would never win the league. Adventures of a King Ginger in the broadcast industry. 
you got it. It's catchy. It yeah. is catchy. Is that you and I? We both love properly. This is amazing. Who do we love? We love the Chicago. We do. We love the Chicago Bears. Go Bears. I want to take you back like George... How would George Michael do it, David? Fuchikow! I want to take you back. August 16th, 1986. Dateline. <laughs> I went there to you... my very first, and I just watched... I had just watched Ferris Bueller, and I'm like, I've got to go to Chicago. I went there, and I went to my first ever NFL game. It was a crappy, insignificant preseason game against the Gary Hogaboom Indianapolis Colts. <laughs> Gary Go Hogaboom's here tonight. Yeah. 38-21, the Bears won. Yeah. I was there, yeah. and so was. You were at the same game? Yes! No! I've told you that for five years, and you've only... <laughs> Honestly! <laughs> yes! I knew you both liked the Bears. That was the first preseason game back in Chicago for the 85 Bears, which, which dates us slightly, doesn't it? It was the... Makes us we thought it was than the start of the are. Mike Tomzak era. Yes. Yeah. The greatest quarterback ever to walk the planet. Didn't quite yeah. work out. You, but we had tickets. My, that's my Aunt Kath, who in 1959, age 17, left Leicester. I mean, who, who in their right mind leaves Leicester? But she decided that there was uh, a greater life to be Everyone had in the United States. Everyone yeah. I've got quite a long list <laughs> here, actually. Apart <laughs> from Riyad Mahrez, N'Golo Kante, yeah. Jamie Vardy, <laughs> Danny Drinkwater. Yeah, apart from, apart from those guys. Yeah. We're about to find yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. She left Leicester. Gone she left Chicago. Leicester. She married an American GI in 1959, uh, and she's still in Chicago now in, in her 70s. She wow. remarried an Irish-American, and she disappeared off the face of the planet back in the 50s and then resurfaced and came over to Leicester on her honeymoon with you, my uncle Bill. And you thought, free holiday? I'm thinking, be the best cousin, be the best behaved cousin, <laughs> and I was the one that got the trip. So I, yeah. this, they paid for me at age 13 yeah. to take a flight on my own mm -hmm. on British Airways, and we landed in Chicago, and this was, and I just got into NFL, and we had tickets by the tunnel, so the, 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 where the bears were coming in and out from yeah, their warm-ups. We love tunnel. This is Walter Payton. This, this is pre-Joe Hart tunnel. Oh, um, love tunnel. And, and pre-nightclub tunnel at the yeah. uh, King Power. Yeah. And I got a high I five from... Nightclub. Best nightclub in the Midlands. Yeah. Um, got a high five from Walter Payton. I mean, that, that day wow. is in, in, imprinted on my brain, seared into my memory, and sealed the deal that one day I was going to go and live in America. Because wow. he knew your aunt was married to Robbie Keane. <laughs> you, you, you once wrote to me, just think how ordinary a pre-season game against the Colts that was. But to all two members of the crowd that night, you and me. And I've got to tell you, I only wish we'd met all like, at the hot dog stand. <laughs> and I wonder, I was 15. You had a mullet then too. I wonder, no, I, had, no, I was bald already. <laughs> <laughs> and I wonder. In his mind. I wonder, yeah, definitely. Half empty. I wonder, would we have like, locked eyes and just nodded and thought, one day you and I will dedicate ourselves to growing the game we love and the country we love. Or would we have just shrugged, tried to buy an underage Budweiser, <laughs> and then just settle for a cheese dog? Probably the latter at that stage. Oh, um, cheese dogs. I returned in 91, actually, and I did get a, a fake ID. I was a Swedish exchange student for, really? for, for six months, yeah. yeah we and all, it, it worked. Lars it worked Ulrich. on Rush Street. We all, we all had street. that era in our life. We've got to say, this man, Arlo White, he has been killing it this week in yeah. studio. You like being the methadone to ease withdrawal after Rebecca Lowe's absence. <laughs> she is extraordinary. At she what, is. At Can we what hear it for does. Rebecca yeah. Lowe? Yeah. <laughs> Mercersburg Academy's finest.
My, my respect, which was always, already up here for her, has, uh, has tripled as a result of doing the show. Yeah. It's, it's not an easy show to do. Yeah, I know. Uh, it's Kyle, great fun, and, but... Kyle is so difficult. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But how did you experience it? I mean, it requires a whole different set of skills and yeah. you've developed up there in the gantry. The yeah. gantry. For a start, I arrived last Tuesday and, and NBC really looked after me and they said to me... Um, do you want to stay in Stamford, Connecticut, or do you want to stay in the city? <laughs> let me, Hard one. Let me ponder that one for a Hard moment. <laughs> Having lived in Stamford, no, no offence to Stamford. No, it, was, it was good, but it's, you know, it's no you, New York you City. Replied, so. Which one of those two is Cagney and Lacey shot in? <laughs> <laughs> so I li- I'm in the city. Uh, I'm at yeah. the hotel, and I've managed to sleep perfectly well all week. And this whole thing has been five months in the making. Uh, and and I've, I've gone through different phases of blind panic, acceptance, you know, all that sort of stuff as I, as I you know, anticipate filling the great Rebecca's Those shoes. Those are the seven stages of grief. Yeah, all yeah. Uh, Friday night, I know I've got to be up at 3.15 and I go to bed at 9 o'clock. And for some reason, I'm looking back, this is the mistake I made, I turned the aircon unit off. So all I'm hearing as my head hits the pillow, I've taken two Advil PM, I'm, I'm prepared. All I'm hearing is beep, beep, woo, woo, hey buddy, what's going on here? And I couldn't sleep. Yeah. I, I got to, and at one point oh, I'm thinking, so I'm English just... taxi drivers. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I, so I think I'm actually formulating a plan in my mind that I'm going through the night, and I'm going to cover for Rebecca with with no sleep. But eventually, I got, I got, I managed to get three hours. Got three hours. But, Pretty good. But the, the first day, yeah, there is a mixture of nerves. It, it is a very different discipline. Lots of counts. Lots of in. You know, get in, get in, get out. Tight questions. The pictures tell the story. It's a but very different it. skill. Yeah. It's very different than what you do in it is. a game. It is. And Lee Dixon's not punching me three times an hour yeah. uh, whilst I'm at work. So yeah. he's all elbows. How hard is it to listen to the panellists and work out your next question while you're being aware of the break in your ear? No, it's not. It's not hard. I've got plenty of experience of doing that sort of stuff. And we, we've, we've generally watched the game together anyway. It's really interesting to see the dynamic. Musto paces around the studio, likes to watch one game, so you doesn't like to necessarily be interrupted, yeah. but then he'll turn around and just have a stream of consciousness. Kyle retires to the Match of the Day 2 set, which is already there, or Match of the Day set, which is uh, now called Kyle's Lounge, Le- leather sofas. Yeah. He sits there, you know, social, socially active, social media acti- yeah. activity. So they, they're very different in the way they do it, but we're generally speaking about the games. You kind of know what they feel about certain games before you, you go How on. How different is Kyle to the guy? On TV, he's so nice, but in real life, he's a lot darker, right? <laughs> he, borderline evil, Roger, I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> What pearls of broadcasting did Rebecca Lowe pass on to you? She told me that there was a very important rule that she told you. Oh, really? Did she? We had we had contacts on Friday night. I can't remember. You know what? We're now we've experienced tonight. We've experienced the long lead up. We've experienced the question to which there's no answer to. And we've now experienced my third favourite is where Rog sets you up for the thing he wants you to say, <laughs> which you can't remember what it is. Which, which it happens to me which we all the time. Which we haven't discussed then, at all. And then uh, you're the idiot because you don't know the answer to the thing that he's got written down on his card. What is it, Rog? Uh, uh, what, what is it, Rog? K- k- uh, have a stash of black bean brownies under <laughs> your desk. <laughs> Robbie Earl says that they smell like feet. She says that is the... Uh, that's a lesson of good broadcasting. Oh. We've got to talk about the football. Like, oh, oh like. we love the football. Leicester City. Yeah, I, just Sorry, for the record. Leicester City. 
Okay, just, just so you know, there's that you guys are the only supporters of Leicester City here. No one on this stage. No, no, no. Very impartial. Very I'm impartial. I'm actually, uh, we're three years into this thing now, and I'm still trying to pick a team. I've not yeah. decided yet. <laughs> the sorting hat has not yet chosen you <laughs> for a Premier League team. <laughs> you and I communicate a lot during the season. Yeah. After the loss to Liverpool in December, you wrote to me and you said, it was nice while it lasted. Hmm. After the loss to Arsenal... Playing it down. Yep. You told me, well, we've had great memories. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like, you can't kid a kid up. Uh. Leicester are seven points ahead of the field right now. Yeah. For context, Bayern, five points ahead in the Bundesliga. <laughs> Barca's La Liga lead six points. Is Ugh. it over? This has been done to me so many times, by the way. Anyway, this, this year it's your turn. Right. Take it. Right. Well, for a start, it's clear that I am from the city of Leicester. I've been desperately trying to, to cover it up all this time. <laughs> and reasonably, with reasonable success until I appear on the Men in Blazers podcast. Yeah. And, we play uh, the, <laughs> and we play the yeah. return of the Mac yeah. as your leading music. <laughs> um, I thought it was okay after 10 years at the BBC where you don't give out your team, you, you, you just never nail never. your colours to the mast. Going to Seattle and wanting to connect with a fan base over there, Leicester were crap in the championship. I was working in MLS. What the hell? I, I, mean, I came out as a yeah, follower of Leicester City. Yeah. yeah, so who would have thought three years later? You wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't do well under torture, would no, you, I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't. Um, what was the question, Rog? <laughs> would you do well under torture? Yeah. <laughs> Is it over? No, it's not. Of course it's not. It can't be this straightforward for a club like Leicester City to win the Premier League, can it? It just can't. There have to be twists in the tail. One thing I would say, and I can see a Spurs shirt down at the front. I've heard the old call of Yid Army uh, since, since you started. Spurs, Spurs are terrific, brilliant side. What they have done is missed a couple of opportunities. And yeah. there was the, the time when Leicester played West Brom. I was at the game, not covering it. We were doing a game at Anfield against Man City, Liverpool Man City the night after. Yeah, you were there as you an impartial observer. observer. I was there as, as, an as, impartial. UN, as a representative yeah. of the just, United just, Nations. I'd yeah. heard good things, just seen if I, I picked that, yeah, exactly. them as a, as you a team. You like Came away, yeah. huge West Brom fan. <laughs> yeah. Huge West Brom fan. Yeah. They play yeah. such attractive football. They do. And they drew 2-2. They played well. They hit the bar. But again, coming away thinking, well, the dream's probably over now because Spurs are going to win at West Ham the next night. They're going to take the lead in the Premier League. If they don't do it then, they'll win the North London derby. Then they're going to take the lead. And they did neither. They won. They lost against West Ham and they drew against Arsenal. Yeah. And then, so you're thinking, well, no one... If you remember Newcastle Blackburn in the 90s when, when Sir Alex Ferguson's United would just chew up the lead relentlessly to the end of the season, no one's doing that to Leicester. So then the latest opportunity was at Anfield on Saturday against uh, Liverpool, and yet they played well. It was a great game great of football. Game of great football. game of great football. Great game of football. But it was a point and not three. So instead of Leicester kicking off the next day only two, with a two-point lead, it was a four-point lead. So no one, even Spurs at the moment, are putting the pressure on. But it's got to come from somewhere at some point. And there are that, still six games left. Yeah. Still some very tough fixtures yeah. for Leicester. Yeah, but Leicester kick off before Spurs for the next four weeks. So Spurs could be kicking it's like being off first ten off points. the tee in match yeah, play. Yeah. And they, well, can you imagine being a Spurs player? And if Leicester win at Sunderland, for example, on Sunday, then Spurs kick off against Man U. Tough game, obviously, you know, at yeah. home. But what, what if they're, Sunderland's going to be a tough game too, exactly. But what if, what if they're ten points clear? Then if, as, a, as a Spurs play, you've got to win this game against Man United just to be seven points behind with five, five games to go. So that's, what, that's the opportunity Leicester have here. As an impartial commentator, will you be commentating topless if you are ten points clear? <laughs> 
uh, Gary Lineker has promised to do match of the day in England um, in his pants. Yeah, but he, bottomless. But he, but he yeah. said, yeah. Underpants. He said it in is. September, I think, or October, and it was all a bit of a joke, and now he's going to have to go through. Well, he might have to go through with it. Has <laughs> it, it, it almost become, like, anticlimactic? What, the show? <laughs> <laughs> I'll try my best. Um, no, it could never be anticlimactic, could it, for, for Leicester's fans? No, no. But it hasn't happened. So until it does, there's going to be angst, neurosis, and this sense that the wheels are going to come off in spectacular fashion at some stage. Two questions. Was there anything last season that led you to believe this was going to happen? And second question, when Claudio Ranieri was announced as Leicester manager... Yeah. At the beginning I thought it was of the season, decision. what did you think? I mean, oh, yes, I was as underwhelmed as most people. I just didn't tweet it. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm not on record, I suppose. Uh, no, did I see anything last season? I thought that Leicester had a chance to stay up because they weren't getting thrashed. They weren't going to Man United. So like, uh, Villa this year, uh, j just no good, are they? I mean, they're getting beat 4 0, 5 0, 6 0. Feel terrible for their fans. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, Great terrible. ground, going to miss going yeah. to that ground. I've always had a soft spot for Aston Villa. I'm from the Midlands, etc. Yeah, um, up north. Yeah, up north. Uh, <laughs> or according to those up north, down south. Yeah, down south. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Leicester were losing 2 1, 3 2. The week before the Great Escape started, they lost 4 3 at, at, at Spurs. So, did I think they could survive? Yes, but it was going to take something pretty magnificent, which then happened. But did we think this was going to happen? Absolutely not. It's just ridiculous what's going on. It is ridiculous. Completely unconnected to Leicester's joy and just this unparalleled success and this dream of dreams coming true. Does being a commentator ruin your ability to enjoy football as a viewer? Do you like sit down and watch games that you're not commenting on and just find your mouth involuntarily opening <laughs> and just be like, Vardy, Tamares? <laughs> uh, do, do you enjoy watching football for fun or is it all work for you? Do you are you just a commentating automaton? I can still watch a game and enjoy it. Um, you tend to commentate in your own mind sometimes, just watching the Champions League in the hotel room today. Yeah, you, yeah, you do, you do. And, and it's a bit annoying, actually, to be honest. I'd rather that didn't happen. Fabian Delph. <laughs> sometimes Lee Dixon answers, sometimes he's not. Yeah, he's your imaginary friend. Yeah. Depends if I've taken my medication or yeah. not. His, his, his jokes are better in Arlo's mind. <laughs> what I really want, though, is there's one word as commentators that you have told us from the very beginning that you are not <laughs> allowed to use while commentating. What is that one? What is I used it on Morning Joe. Did you notice on Monday morning? I kept telling you. I yeah. used it four times before. It doesn't you count did. if it's before eight a.m. New rule. Yeah. That's vodka. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what is the word? What is the word? What is the word? Unbelievable. <laughs> so why? Mer Mer Merriam-Webster definition: difficult or impossible to believe. Of course, David knows it's from the old English belfian to believe. Yeah. Let me ask you this. When Wes Morgan... <laughs> Big Wes. ...lifts up the Premier League trophy at Stamford Bridge on the last day of the season... <laughs> How is he even in the box for that header? Anyway, sorry, <laughs> digress. <laughs> What's he doing there? Anyway, and, I love it. I and, love it. And all the Leicester City fans do that kind of, like, football dance that all footballers do. What is it, David? That. It's like... <laughs> 
And I'm like incredibly worried because I don't know if Leicester's calibre of footballers know how you're meant to do that dance. Yeah. <laughs> do you not believe that is the only word that should be Arlo White on your lips when that trophy is lifted up? Unbelievable. Maybe that's the time to bring it out, Rog, isn't it? Yeah. Maybe, maybe the planets will align to such a degree and this, was, this whole journey was meant for that word to be used at that moment. <laughs> Who knows? By let's, the way, and this see. is like, we love, we really genuinely love our employers at NBC Sports, and not because they're our employers. We love them because what they've done for the game we love in the country we love. We just love what they've done for this game. Mm. Love it. I agree with that. <clears throat> but amongst... <clears throat> professional American sports broadcasters or sports bro broadcasters globally, why is it that you can't say unbelievable? What is the rationale for not being able to say that word? Well, to be honest, it, it, it is a bit of a joke. It, it's, our, it's our executive producer, Pierre Moussa, who is, is terrific, and he works 20 hours a day. If I send him an email that, that on arrives... On a light day. On, yeah, a, light yeah, on a light day. day. If I send yeah. him an email that arrives in his inbox at 4 a.m. Eastern, I get a reply by 10 past. Wow. It, it, is, it is extraordinary. Uh, we have conference calls about conference calls. Um, <laughs> I've never seen an attention to detail like it. It is borderline barely believable. Yeah. <laughs> so he said it as a joke, because his view is, if it's unbelievable, then you, it didn't just happen. Yeah. It can't have just happened. That, that, that dictionary definition suggests slightly differently, yeah. doesn't it? So, yeah, the old English language to believe, Belfian. Belfian. <laughs> so, I, I, look, I wouldn't be fired if I did say it, but I'm maybe just waiting for that moment. Well, although we know, one thing we know about you, you don't care about Leicester City whatsoever. Not really. You are objective. Yeah. But Jamie Vardy, Claudio Ranieri, N'Golo Kante, <laughs> Riyad Mahrez, we, they don't often think, if they, if they experienced their exquisite, heroic season back in the Middle Ages where David and I live most of our lives. Yeah. Ballads, David. Ballads. I love ballads. Ballads would have been written about this team. And call us old-fashioned and middle-agey. But we still live very much in the Middle Ages when England was still great. Yeah. <laughs> it's where we love the Middle Ages. Yeah. David, we've got to put that right tonight, Yeah, mate. we want to close the in night. In your honour, Arlo White. We want to close the night in your honour, Arlo, with a musical performance. It's from a local singer slash songwriter and GFOP who won going away, I should say, rather like Lady Chairman in the first race at Santa Anita on Sunday, won our BlazerCon song contest back in November. He smashed it at BlazerCon, so we had to have him back this evening here to perform his original song, Chat Shit, Get Banged. <laughs> Brooklyn's own Ben Clark. So I'm going to say the words, if you chat shit, and then you're going to say, you're going to get banked. Let me do it once, and then we'll all do it together, and then we'll do the whole thing, okay? So I'll go. If you're gonna chat shit, and then you guys go, you're gonna get banged. If you're gonna chat shit, you guys, you're gonna get banged. All right, let's do it. Claudio Ranieri, quite contrary to popular belief. Money won't buy you a championship, you gotta play well every week. Now some blokes 
no one was supposed to remember just turned into English title contenders. Blowing my mind every weekend on NBC. If you're gonna chat shit, you're gonna get right. Jamie Vardy crashed Liverpool's party and fucked up everything. If you're gonna chat shit, you're gonna get right. Hashtag LTD, my friends. Danny Drinkwater's living the dream. Well, Marcial cost Man United about 15 million pounds. For that price, you could buy the Foxes twice and probably triple your goal count. No one knew who Mares was, and now they all want to have his babies. Because he's playing with the best team we've ever seen, besides those USA ladies. If you're going to chat shit, you're going to get fine. Damn near made a home in the relegation zone till they won seven in their last nine games. If you're gonna chat shit, you're gonna, you're gonna get, get back. From the bottom of the barrel to the top of the table, that's one hell of a football team. When that Morris cross lands in the box, you better hope it don't connect with that number nine, because in due time, he's gonna put it in the back of the net. Someday they'll make a movie about this oh-so-magical side. Directed by Laszlo Nemes, screenplay by Arlo White. <laughs> Tom Hardy can play Jamie Vardy, Mares played by Aziz Ansari. Hell, maybe even Raj and Devo can go to the Oscar party. Well, they traveled down to Chelsea, South London, round 38. Will they claim the title at Stamford Bridge or will jazz hands get in the way? <laughs> Win or lose the Fox's story, surprise most everyone. We'll still be singing Vardy's song when all is said and done. If you're gonna chat shit, you're gonna get back. We'll remember this squad too, we'll old and gray and we'll still get the tingling. If you're gonna chat shit, Everybody raise a Guinness tonight. Thank you so much for having me play. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Thanks to all of our guests tonight. Bob Lee, Lars Ulrich, Paul Carr, Arlo White, Bethany Perkins, Ben Clark. And of course, the one and only Ms. Loretta Lynch. Rog, you've got some late breaking news. U.S. Women's National Team play Columbia tonight, scheduled after we scheduled this, just to be clear. It was close. U.S. Men's National Team, take note. U.S. Women's National Team play Columbia. Columbia, zero. U.S. Women's National Team, seven! It's close. We'd also like to thank our staff, John Johnson, Jen Simons, JW, Lexi Tannenholz, David Ziplow. And thanks to our sponsors for the evening, Mini and Guinness. Drink responsibly. We'd also like to remind you about our first ever blazer drive with donations going to Hope for the Warriors Transition Services Program. If you didn't bring a blazer to donate tonight, you can mail them directly to Hope for the Warriors. Send it to the attention of Jennifer Friedel. No relation. Hope for the Warriors, 55 Water Street, Concourse Level, New York, New York, 10041. Most of all, we'd like to thank all of you, seriously, for coming. 
and we'd like to raise a glass with each and every one of you right after this a brass monkey it's right down the street follow the crowds Arlo thank you so much for Arlo, just tell us now before we leave the stage who's going to win the Premier League this season <laughs> well, you, 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 the best team in the league the, the best team after best 38 team. games Rodge will yeah. be deserving yes. winners That'll be the US women's national team. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, all the right. If you're gonna chat shit, you're gonna get banged. If you're gonna chat shit, oh, you're gonna get banged. If you're gonna chat shit, 